Welcome to California Groundbreakers, which focuses on the place that starts trends, starts movements, and shakes up how things are done nationwide and around the world. We're inviting interesting people doing innovative things to sit down and talk with us about how they're asking and answering the big questions facing all Californians. Our goal is to inspire change across the state, one conversation at a time. We've created a new podcast series called This Changes Everything, which focuses on what California will look like in the post-pandemic future. We'll be talking with California groundbreakers about how they see the Golden State changing for the better, for the worse, or still to be determined as we move out of shutdown. If you like what you hear, please consider making a podcast creation donation. Click on the Support Us link on our SoundCloud podcast page or on the Donate tab of our website, californiagroundbreakers.org. In this episode, we're taking a look at the future of work in California, how we will do it, and where we will do it from. If you're going back to the office, how different will your workplace look? If your company is staying remote, will that be good or bad for how you work, and how far you climb up the career ladder? In part one, we're talking about the post-pandemic office and what it will look like with two people in the Bay Area who are designing it now. Christopher Good, creative director of One Workplace, and Melissa Pacey, a principal at HGA Architecture in San Francisco. Then we'll have a conversation with Adam D'Angelo, CEO of the technology firm Quora. Last June, he announced that his company, headquartered in Silicon Valley, would now and forever be a remote-first company. Listen in as they tell us what the last 12 months have done to the workplace and the workforce in California and how office life will be totally different going forward. Hi everyone, my name is Vanessa Richardson and I'm Executive Director of California Groundbreakers. Welcome to our latest episode of This Changes Everything and thank you for listening. Today we're focusing on the future of the workplace in California, how people will work going forward, where they'll be working, how office life will compare and contrast to pre-pandemic times over a year ago when cubicles and daily commutes were the norm, remember those? And what that future means for downtowns, the suburbs, the job market, and the overall economy in the state. So joining me to talk about all this are two people who have been designing the workplaces of the future for a few years now, and are probably especially busy at it at this time, as California moves back to the tiers where offices can open up again, and companies are figuring out what to do with their workplace procedures and where to have their employees do their jobs. So let me welcome first Chris Good. He is creative director of One Workplace. It is headquartered in Santa Clara, and it is the largest dealer of office furniture and architectural products in North America. And regarding a press release I read about One Workplace, it says that Chris and his team, quote, designs successful workplace environment solutions that transform company culture and behavior by encouraging collaboration, fostering creativity, promoting productivity, and inspiring innovation. So we're gonna to talk to him about how that will still be going forward in 2021 and beyond. And we also have Melissa Pacey of the architectural firm HGA. She is a principal in its San Francisco office and she specializes in workplace planning and design. And Melissa is also a podcaster. She hosts the Redefining Workplace podcast which features HGA experts who are helping organizations from a wide range of industries plan their next steps. So Chris and Melissa, thank you both for joining us today. You're very welcome. Thank, thank, you. thank you, Vanessa. All right, so I'm gonna ask you both this question, but I'm gonna start in alphabetical order. So Chris, you're first. Um, and also because your firm One Workplace worked on this particular project I'm gonna talk about that I found online. It is called Workplace 2030. And apparently this is Workplace 2030 is a prototype office that was built in San Francisco, downtown San Francisco, that showcases how various new pandemic oriented technologies and design principles work in a real world scenario, not just on a paper or in a lab. So apparently it was opened by appointment only. You go in there, uh, apparently close today though, March 31st was the last day you could do it. But people could go into this new workplace of the future and actually feel and touch all the new technologies and innovations and designs. So I don't know if either of you have been in it, but it sounds interesting. So I wanted to see for for us listening, if you could envision for us in words what Workplace 2030 looks like, or at least what you see it as, or maybe even Workplace 2021, 2022, as California opens back up. So just 
you know, visualize for us in words what it would be like when we, if we go back to our new office or a brand new office, what that may look like, what new features may be uh, included and added, or what totally new space, concept, shape, things would look like. So just a little description so we could see it for ourselves. So Chris, I'm going to pass the baton to you first. Well, thank you, Vanessa. I really appreciate it and to have this opportunity to share this story and to talk with you guys today. Uh, the project you referenced a minute ago, Workplace 2030, that came to us through a partner, a friend of ours named Brandon Cook, who challenged us with a really interesting question really early into the pandemic. Uh, a moment where, you know, probably 11 months ago, every one of us was scrambling to see how we can make sure we make the future safe. How do we allow people to come into buildings in a healthy way? Uh, but was absolutely a moment that was shaped by fear. Uh, I remember conversations with my own team, you know, maybe a month, two months into the pandemic, and just talking about what coming back to an office might felt, feel like was uh, a very disturbing conversation. People didn't know what it meant for them, uh, what it meant for their families, what it meant for the people they cared about. And I work with people who shape workplace every day. And if we don't know what that looks and feels like, that's a pretty scary and frightening moment and place to be. And what Brandon asked us was, you know, how do we not just talk about a future because everybody was talking about the future, but let's do something about it. Let's do something right now. Let's test it. It might be wrong. It might be right. But let's actually physically build something and invite people to come see and experience and, and touch and feel it. And I know it sounds weird to say touch and feel in this, in this, this moment in time. But that really was important to make it tangible, to make it not just uh, an idea. And so we went out and worked very, very quickly to, to build out and create that experience in that space. And you know, a piece of your question was, what is it like to invite people back to, to the workplace? And that was a big part of the conversation. Uh, we, we talked a lot with a, a friend of ours named Randy Howder at Gensler uh, around what does that entry experience, just walking in the front door. What does that look and feel like? How, how do we want to make it feel? How do we make sure that it is in fact safe? And we incorporated all kinds of technologies from you know uh, infrared cameras to check temperature and touchless sensors so you don't have to touch the door, you don't have to touch anything. Uh, a, a Bluetooth beacon would recognize where you were and everything would kind of happen around you. Um, and it was a really interesting way to think about uh, what that future could look like. Now, we're now many months past when we started that conversation. And part of me is like, I don't want that at all. Uh, I want to go back to something that is a little more human, you know, that I can actually interact with. And um, I don't necessarily want to have my temperature taken every time I walk in the front door. And, you know, with, with what has transpired in the last year, I think we're actually going back probably fairly soon to a place that's a little bit more like that. And I hope that is the case. I want our near future to be one that is far more human, uh, that's really about us and about the relationships we share with each other and the fact that physical places give us the, the setting for that to happen. Melissa, have you seen this Workplace 2030 or have you also worked on your version of what Workplace 2030 looks like? And what does it look like? Yeah, no, Vanessa, um, we're absolutely working with a lot of our clients on, you know, what are the immediate changes to their workplace uh, for the near future? And what are the long-term changes that we should be thinking about to help them evolve as a company and grow? And to Chris's point, you know, really right there with him, really thinking about the human aspects of the office. The reason that people come to the office is to be together, um, to have the culture, mentorship, um, innovation that you really only can get when you're with other people. So having that human experience right at the front door is something that we really value. Uh, but that really does need to be balanced with safety. So if you want to envision kind of coming into this space and having this really welcoming environment, but Historically, we've, you know, maybe skipped on space a little bit more than we should have in that uh, area. And so trying to have a little bit more space so that people aren't necessarily on top of each other while checking in, maybe having multiple places to check in, um, different areas to sit and wait. Because again, that whole security and safety piece is really important. Um, 
as companies are now much more focused on vetting who kind of comes into the greater office and maybe having different layers of availability for where people can be in the office so that there is security of knowing if there was a visitor and there was an issue, they weren't, you know, all throughout the office. They may have been just in a um, more entry type area. So really thinking about how those layers start to come together is um, something that is Definitely happening now, but will continue to really develop, I think, as we do approach 2030. So when you're going into, you know, past the front door, past the uh, check-in, into the actual space of the office, what will that look like? Will it be any different? I'm. It feels like we were, before the pandemic, going to this open space uh, kind of, of space, where it was just open space way fewer pub, uh, private offices and even cubicles were just being looked down upon. I do feel like when I'm reading articles about back to the workplace that I see comments, there's some people who like, you know, I don't need a desk anymore. I'll just come in and put my laptop because I'm only there two or three days a week. And then there's others who say like, that's just, I want more, uh, if not plexiglass, some enclosure around me because it makes me feel safe. What do you two see? So. We are seeing the same things that you are, but I would say that the data is definitely um, a little bit in conflict with itself. A lot of people want to come into the office, and I would say 60% plus still want to have an assigned space that's their own. Um, I can give a little anecdote for why that might be today because I was madly rushing around the house trying to find my noise-canceling headphones for this interview. Uh, And someone in my family must have taken them because they are no longer on my desk. And so I can see, you know, when you're coming into a place that you're really wanting to be productive and get things done, you want it to be easy. You want to be able to go there, have your stuff there, plug in and be able to get right to work. That's, That's a lot of the appeal of being in the office. And so as designers, if we can bring those two things together so that people don't depend on having an assigned space to have work be easy. I think that's really the goal. Um, And, you know, maybe not in 2021, but maybe in 2022 or 2030, really having the technology and the systems in place so that workers aren't feeling like I need to have this space in order to be productive. I do, um, Vanessa, to your point, see a lot of, uh, you know, people saying, we're just going to come to work to collaborate. I don't need a desk anymore. But we're hearing a lot of people who do want a desk. And when we look at the data of how people tend to work in their days, there's a lot of back and forth between focus work and collaborative work and a lot of side-by-side focus work where you may be doing something and really need access to a coworker, just maybe a, a simple question or a quick um, brainstorming session that takes you know less than five minutes. You're not going to necessarily go relocate to a collaborative space, but you really need that side-by-side focus collaboration type Uh, environment to be productive. And so we think having a really good balanced approach to both open collaborative and closed collaborative and side-by-side focus environments is going to be super important as we design spaces going into the future. An interesting part of your question also probably relates to uh, when. Uh, When are you coming into the office and, and experiencing that? Because I know most of our customers, a lot of organizations, are in a bit of paralysis at the moment. Uh, they themselves have beliefs about what their teams are going to do when they come into the office. They've surveyed their teams and their teams have told them what they're going to do when they come into the office. But they also know that what they say they're going to do and what we're all actually going to do is likely going to be very different uh, six months from now, a year from now, two years from now. And so everyone's afraid to make a really big dramatic change. Like I'm going to sell off a bunch of real estate or make this big dramatic change because Right now is the wrong time to make that decision. We need to see what happens, watch and observe and learn from our teams as all of our learned behavior of a lifetime of work suddenly is turned upside down and changes. Uh, That's the kind of change that's very difficult to predict. Um, And so uh, we have to kind of see what happens. Another piece of that that I think is interesting that that we learned, an anecdote from maybe my own experience within our own organization, is we went through a change a little over a year ago, uh, maybe 18 months, started the process 18 months prior to the pandemic, but to move our organization to a distributed model where we didn't own as many desks anymore. Some parts of the business would, some parts wouldn't. Um, 
Something that's really interesting that I realized in the last few weeks was the part of our business that was most adamant about keeping a desk and having that place uh, of their own that they would come to every single day, that they would not adapt the sort of shared model. They are among the uh, members of our organization who are actually less likely to now come back in uh, because home is a much more stable environment than the office ever was. And that's honestly what they were looking for, was that stable place that was always theirs where their things never moved. Uh, and so it's, it's interesting to see like the most adamant part of our organization that really said space mattered to a fit, uh, from an ownership standpoint uh, now is the one that's most flexible. So this hot desking trend is not so hot. It is and it isn't. It is and it isn't. Yeah, I would say a lot of companies are looking at it. And I think technology plays a huge piece of that. Um, to Chris's point, uh, the phone has been such a game changer for hoteling. You know, historically, people were like, I need my desk phone. I need my desk phone. Um, I mean, it's pretty rare that you see desk phones anymore because it's so easy to make phone calls through different platforms on your computer. And like, I mean, honestly, whenever I get a phone call to my like desk phone number, I'm like, I don't even know what to do with that. Like I call them back from my cell phone or from my computer. I just, I think we're moving uh, technologically to a place that is just more mobile inherently. And, you know, having more, I mean, even like a camera embedded on a laptop. I mean, it's not new technology, but it's becoming ubiquitous. Whereas, you know, you know, two, three years ago, you had to have another physical camera mounted on your, on your desk. And it was just a lot more work to get something to work for you on a daily basis, whereas now it's all located in the laptop. And I think as that continues to evolve, the piece of being mobile that's difficult starts to go away to some degree. On that point, though, I did have a question about maybe a, a near-term trend of uh, some people coming into the office two days a week, other workers coming in a different two days of a week. So half of the staff will be remote, half the staff will be there or a third or what have you, but they still have to communicate and collaborate. So I'm wondering, are you looking at um, uh, looking at ways to for better communication with the on-site team and the remote teams based on what is in the office. Uh, I think I, I mentioned up top, or if I did not already, there was a New York Times story that came out today. We're, we're doing this on March 31st about you know going back to the office and what that looks like, just like this this conversation. And it was saying, it's talking about, you know, commu communication and holograms may be an option or maybe um, really high tech whiteboards in a conference room that everyone can use at the same time. Uh, is that something of, uh, of note? And are you are you looking at better communication between on site and remote? remote workers? Be, what does that look like? You might be hinting at one of the biggest challenges we are all getting ready to face as we are. Many of us begin leaving our homes and coming back to the office. Uh, because when everyone went home, the sense of equity and experience uh, was consistent. Everyone was at home. Uh, but once half of us start coming back in, and some of us are in a room and some of us are not, it's going to become very disjointed very quickly. And those team members who don't have the chance to spend time in the office are going to have a lesser experience, potentially, unless we are very intentional about making that experience uh, uh, equivalent and meaningful. And technology is going to have to play a huge role in that. That might in fact be why some of us even do choose to come to the office because those tools might in fact be there to make sure that the 10 of us calling in remotely and the six of us in the room are all on equal footing as we collaborate and talk together and nobody's left out. Uh, another big piece of it may also just be on us. We'll have to change the way we run meetings. Uh, there's protocol to, to some of that. You know, maybe we invite the person who's remote to be the to run the call, uh, so that they never get left out of the conversation. Uh, they can call us on it when we all start a side conversation and move on without them. But uh, uh, it's going to have to be a combination of of technology, physical space, and ourselves. The the ways that we choose to work together. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I know at HGA. Uh, we are also looking at doing training for all of our employees uh, to be more effective communicators uh, in a hybrid model. And it's something we've been advocating to our clients as well. 
Uh, one of the biggest uh, things that we've seen from the studies that we've run is that people really feel empowered to be able to work the way that they need to work, which may mean not having a commute. It may mean um, working at home for part of the day, um, coming in when they need resources, as Chris mentioned. But we can't assume that the entire work rate force is going to change the way that they work overnight without having some training and some tools to help them be more effective. And so we've been really advocating communication training, um, especially in our profession. It's really hard uh, for a client who may not be in the room with you if you're not doing a good job of explaining where things are, how that will look and feel, and really telling a good story. And so for us um, and for many of our clients, we feel that the way um, to really be productive and effective in this environment is to all have that kind of same level of understanding what's expected in that environment. I wanted to ask about the, I guess, the future of especially downtowns, because I think Chris and Melissa, you're in downtowns in, in San Francisco, right? Santa Clara, Bay, Bay Area, and so much attention, so much has been written about what's going to happen as offices reconsider how much space to use. I think Salesforce, which has the Salesforce tower, will that ever be fully occupied? Uh, Google and Facebook, you know, and Twitter saying, you know. Um, well, at least Twitter worked you know, from, from home forever. So what does that mean for downtowns? Um, maybe also what it means for suburbs and other parts of California where people from the Bay Area are saying, well, you know, I'll just move to Sacramento where, where California Groundbreakers is based, just come in. Where I'm just looking, you know, through your eyes when you're walking around the downtowns of your respective cities, um, what is happening now? What do you see and what do you predict for the future um, of working in those in those downtown urban areas? Yes. So, I, I mean, a fantastic question. We're working with so many different organizations that have really different viewpoints on this, if I'm being totally honest. Many are thinking about hub-and-spoke models, so having maybe a San Francisco headquarters or a Bay Area headquarters uh, with locations, you know, maybe down on the peninsula or in East Bay, Sacramento, different areas to make it easier for people to get to work. Uh, and then we are looking at other companies, working with other companies, I should say, who are looking at more of a remote model who will have kind of drop-in spaces. So maybe those are in more urban type areas, um, San Jose, San Francisco. And then we're looking at other companies who are expanding their space, knowing that the density that we were living with pre-COVID is just not something we're going to be able to sustain. And so they're really looking at widening their footprint to give their employees a much more comfortable place to work. And that necessitates more space for them. So really, there's so many different models. I truly believe that, you know, we'll kind of make it up in the wash because all of these things are kind of evolving and, you know, some things are going to grow, others will shrink and move around. But I do believe, um, that, you know, the cities will remain strong. I've been popping down to the office to pick up the mail and water the plants and things. And I've definitely noticed over the last month or so that the volume of people downtown is really picking up. Uh, and I think it will continue to do so. Chris, what are you seeing in downtown Santa Clara, if that's where you're based? Sure. Well, you know, a lot of the same things that, that Melissa just, just shared. But I guess maybe my perspective here is less what I know, because I don't know if I know a whole lot. Uh, but maybe just more what I wonder uh, about, you know, uh, the the future of these large campus-style headquarters buildings in large downtowns, uh, and then this approach to more hub-and-spoke uh, type locations. And my wonder is, is all sort of centered around, you know, why are people actually coming to these spaces? Uh, and once we understand what that what that is, what that draw is, and and recognize that that draw might be very different for the draw to the to the downtown location versus the hub and spoke location. Uh, maybe that'll shape everything around what we think about these spaces and, and how they're used and what they're intended for. You know, if I'm coming to the downtown location, maybe I'm coming for something very different from what I would come to the hub and spoke location. I might go to the hub and spoke because it's close to home and I need to get away and I need to focus. I need to get some stuff done. But maybe I'm going to come to the downtown headquarters location because I want to be part of a team or see an executive leader or be a part of the the you know the core culture of the organization, and maybe the word that I'll share here for both locations is I want to be a part of the community. Uh, so if I'm coming downtown, I'm coming downtown to come to the office 
and to go eat at that place that's across the street that I really remembered and want to have that 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 moment again, or to sit in the park that's across from you know where I got off the BART station, uh, because that's a memorable and a meaningful experience in my life, and I want to have that again. And I'm coming to the you know the the hub and spoke location to be a part of my local community to sit next to people within my organization who just happen to live in my neighborhood. Uh, I don't necessarily work with them, but you know they're my neighbors, and so I want to be a part of them. And so I'm hoping, and maybe as part of my wonder, it's a wonder and a hope, that the draw is community in both of those locations and very different types of community. My last question for you both is, when you go back to your offices with half, one third, or all of your staff, what are you personally, um, what's going to make you sad, I guess? What do you think will be gone forever or at least for a while that you will miss about the pre-times office? And what are you looking forward to? What are you very excited about the future of the workplace when you go back? Just, you know, for all of us who will be going back, um, you know, in the next few months or so. So I, for me, I think because I, workplace is my job, there's not, I'm not, I'm not sad and I don't miss anything. I see this as a real opportunity for not just my company, but for the entire workplace industry to really re-examine business as usual and figure out, you know, what did we not need and what did we really need and let's strengthen that. And so as HGA, that's what we're doing. We're looking um, with focus groups and doing some workshopping to really not try to do what we did before, but maybe try to do it half virtual. But how do we take the process that we used uh, to develop space and reimagine that to work the way that's going to be most productive to us, regardless of whether or not you're at home or in the office or across the country or in another country? And so for me, it's exciting because we're really rethinking that process and what tools and what resources we need in the workplace in order to really do the best work that we can. So we're really trying to strengthen the things that were good and let go of the things that didn't work. So for me, there's nothing that I'm nostalgic about per se. It's more exciting for me as we start to re-envision a really productive future in a really dynamic, exciting space. I love Melissa's optimism. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I want to build on Are that. Are you as optimistic? <laughs> Absolutely, 100%. Uh, and this is a chance to do everything uh, all over again. And what more exciting challenge for a designer is there than to think, think, turn something upside down and look at it from inside out? Um, but there is one thing that I think I will miss. Uh, and I'm hoping I don't miss it forever because I think it's coming back. It just might be a while. But uh, for me personally, and this is not something everybody shares, but I get energy from uh, the, the density of, of a vibrant experience of a bunch of people being around each other all at one time. Uh, and it's going to be a while before we are all together that close uh, and in that way uh, um, to have that kind of moment. Uh, it, it'll be back. It's just going to be a little while. So I've got to wait. Well, Chris and Melissa, thank you very much for making us optimistic, actually, about going back to the office. And uh, I, I look forward to seeing what all these various offices around California are going to look like uh, when we can, we can open them up. So thank you both for your time. Uh, I appreciate it very much. Thank you, Vanessa. Thank you, Vanessa. Hi, this is Caleb Clark, executive producer of California Groundbreakers Podcasts. We're working on more episodes of This Changes Everything, literally as I speak, but putting them together takes a fair amount of time and money. If you like what you're hearing in this episode and you want to hear more of them, you can help us in two ways. First, consider being a Groundbreaker supporter right now by making a podcast creation donation. Click on the Support California Groundbreakers box on the right-hand side of our podcast page on SoundCloud, that's at soundcloud.com slash California Groundbreakers, or click on the donate tab of our homepage of our website at californiagroundbreakers.org. And if you have questions to ask about how California will change in post-pandemic times, or you want to suggest a topic to cover, or an expert to interview for an episode of This Changes Everything, email us at info at californiagroundbreakers.org and give us a few details so we can get in touch. Thanks for lending us your ears and giving us your support as well. Hi, everyone. Welcome to part two of this Back to Work conversation as we look at how the pandemic has changed the way we think about work, how we do it, and where we do it. 
So as most of us know, remote work and telecommuting were offered here and there by companies in the before times, but it wasn't a common thing for most people who worked in offices. Many Californians, probably you, were used to commuting, sometimes an hour or more back and forth to work. And I just read in the Wall Street Journal that before the start of lockdowns a year ago, just under 10% of the U.S. workforce worked remotely full time. But within a month, about half of American workers were working from home. And today, most of them still are. Now, what will that percentage be next month, in the fall, next year, and afterwards? It's still to be decided. Chief executive officers are the ones who have to make those decisions for their companies. And we're talking with one CEO today who made his decision back in June that his company would be a remote first company and that staffers can now work from anywhere they choose, even after the pandemic is over. Adam D'Angelo is CEO of the tech firm Quora. That is a user-based question and answer platform that probably many of you have gone on to get answers to a question, or you may have seen it pop up while you're doing a Google search for an answer. Core is based in Mountain View, and Adam has decided he'll keep the current office there and convert it into a co-working space for employees who want to regularly work out of it still. Now, I should mention that Adam is a Silicon Valley veteran. He knows the area well. He was one of the original co-founders of Facebook and its chief technology officer before he started Quora in 2009. But he has stated that he will not work out of the Mountain View office. He will visit the office no more than once a month. And leadership teams won't be located in the office either. All meetings will be done remotely. Adam wrote a great blog about his reasoning for making Quora a remote first company. We'll post it in the resource list on the podcast page when we upload this episode. And he brings up a lot of reasons why remote work is good for workers. But he also brings up the point that it is not better in every way than in-person and in-the-office work. So Adam, I want to say welcome. Thank you for joining us and ask you, where are you working from today? Great. Uh, th thank you for, for having me. I'm, I'm working from Palo Alto, California. So not too far from the headquarters. Where are your employees? I, I wanted to ask you, how many are there right now? And where are they working from? Where's the range? Do you know? Or does it matter? So it's, it's really all over the place these days. We have a lot of people still in the Bay Area. A lot of people have relocated to other parts of the U.S., so actually a pretty significant number who have relocated within the Bay Area to maybe be a little bit further from, from where our office was. There's other people relocating to, to other parts of, of California as well. So I wanted to ask you kind of a three-part question in terms of timeline. First, I wanted to start at the beginning of the pandemic or even a little before that to ask you what were your thoughts on remote work before the pandemic hit? So that time frame, your thoughts about it. Then what your thoughts were about it when the statewide shutdown started and you had to do it. And then what happened between that day that you had to do it and a few months later in June 2020, when you did make the decision to go all in on a remote work remote workforce going forward forever? Yeah, so it's, it's a very interesting. I actually was a big proponent of saying everyone has to be in the office originally. And that was based on a view we had that uh, coordination between uh, different employees was one of the most important pieces of us being able to build a great product and, and succeed as a company. And so we didn't, so you'll see some other tech companies would have policies where people could work from home one day a week or um, people would, you know, there'd be very flexible policies on when you had to show up or when you didn't. We actually were, were pretty uh, pretty strict in saying that you know if you're going to work at Cora had to be in the office uh, every day you know unless you, you know, if you got sick or had a, a special exception that was totally fine but we didn't want people regularly working from home and uh, so that was that that was our our view then uh, when when the pandemic hit obviously we you know we couldn't continue that and we didn't want to um, we didn't want to force any kind of you know risk on on our employees and so we all started working from home. And it, it was interesting because at, at first it seemed like it was going to be a, a very temporary thing. It wasn't clear how long the, the lockdown would, would have to last. But, you know, there's a period of a few weeks or maybe even a, a few months where it just became clearer and clearer that this was going to be going on for a long time. And then there was also a period where at, at first, I think the first few weeks, it was pretty hard. People were all figuring out how to you know, get a good internet connection at home, how to have a good setup, how to you know, even just have a, a room with a closed door so they're, you know, they're, they can have some, some quiet space from their family. Um, the, you know, there's a whole adjustment period. And 
I'd say during that adjustment period, it was, you know, our productivity was, was obviously much lower. But then we saw pretty quickly after a few weeks that actually our productivity was, was significantly up. And, and we measured this in a few ways. We surveyed our employees. Most of our employees felt that, that they were able to be actually more productive at home than they had been in the office. And, and this was despite the fact that, you know, we'd only been working from home for a few weeks and a lot of people were burdened with childcare and stress due to the, the pandemic. Um, and despite all that, uh, you know, in general, we were able to be more productive. And so that kind of just opened our eyes to the, the possibilities. And, uh, and then eventually we realized, hey, this is, you know, this is not only something that could be good for our current employees, but if we, if we orient the company around remote work, we can start to hire people all over the world and all over the country. And, you know, being in the Bay Area, you know, it's, a, it's been a great advantage because there's, there's a, a lot of great talent there. But as housing prices have gone up and as immigration restrictions have gotten more difficult and uh, you have a lot of strain on the transportation systems around the Bay Area, um, it's just, you know, it, it's been hard for uh, hard for us to get the best people from all over the world to relocate to the Bay Area. Um, and I, I think that's really limited opportunities for, for people around the, the country. And, uh, and so we thought that, you know, not only could this be better for our current employees, but it could be just better for, for everyone we might want to employ in, in the future. Uh, and so, so based on all that, we made the decision that, that we would just orient the company uh, primarily around remote work. And we're going to keep our office because we have a, a lot of employees who, who want to work out of that. But uh, we, may, we may set up other offices in, in other places for, for people as well. But primarily, we're going to be have people working uh, remotely. And I wanted to ask you about the office because you had listed one of the factors that went into your decision for going remote first was the open concept office and how it didn't work. Now, in part one of this episode, we were talking about the future of the workplace, the workspace, and it seemed like open space was becoming the norm before the pandemic. And our experts on episode one said that it probably will continue to be to be the same open space, uh, even more so. But you and your blog post, I, it seemed like you were down on that. And I wanted to ask, you know, I wanted you to elaborate on that and then ask with the Mountain View headquarters, will you change the, the space setup in any way? Yeah, so, so I, I think open office spaces were, you know, they're kind of like fashionable. Uh, and and you, I remember I had an experience of walking into a, an old company that was all cubicles um, and it just it felt like wow this is just like a an old the way people did things in the past and there was there's definitely a feeling that open offices were the future and it's more fun to be in an open space where you can see everyone and collaborate but there's actually a lot of there's been a, a number of studies now that find that employees in open offices actually communicate less with other employees than they do when you have uh, when people have their own offices and it's because uh, you 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 can't just talk to one person without disrupting a lot of other people, and the, the noise level in the office starts to get very distracting. Um, and and so the open office plans, you know, I, I think it's a good idea in in theory for a certain set of people. It's actually the best, but I, I think for for most people, it's it's not as good for either either for individual productivity or for collaboration. And, uh, and so I think a lot of companies, you know, this kind of like this became the fashion and also as office space got more and more expensive, it became, you know, financially the only option for a lot of companies. Um, but I, I think that one reason why a lot of people have, you know, we, we survey employees and majority of our employees say they're, they're more productive than, at, at home than they were in the office. I think one significant reason for that is that they can have a you know a quiet isolated space at home? Will you provide quiet isolated spaces in the Mountain View office, or have you thought about how you? Oh yeah, you yeah. We're, we're so so one of the things we're going to do for sure is to have a lot of little spaces that people can go into to get on a video call with other people, and and so that we'll have that for sure. I think for you know how many quiet spaces we can provide, it's going to depend on the number of people who want to work out of that office and and how much space we have but we would like to. 
And I also wanted to ask, since you have gone remote the past year, how have you noticed management uh, and work structures changing? For example, you wrote about the need for coordination hours for your workers, you know, who are all over the world to collaborate and you need to meet in some decent timeframes that work for most, if not all. So that's something to address. What are what are some other issues that you've seen you had to, to change or manage more uh, because of a remote first um, So one, one of the things we've been doing is just trying to uh, document a little bit more. So we have an effort internally we call the handbook where we're trying to just write down all of our processes, how everything in the company works, how, how we do everything. And we've actually, historically as a company, we've produced a lot of documents. That, that's just a, the culture in our company. We, we tend to write a lot of things down, but the documents weren't very well organized. And so we've been focused on just getting all our documentation of how things work at the company into a centralized place. And, and it's really great because we've onboarded a lot of new employees over the last six months, and they can just go to this central place and just read how everything works and pick it up that way. I think in, in an office environment, people would tend to just kind of casually pick, pick up on how things work from observing other people or from casual conversation. And it was a very inefficient process. It could take a long time for new employees to kind of ramp up in the culture and, and how, how things are done. And so this is something that I, I think actually probably would have made us more productive even while we were in the office. But being remote, we wanted to really enable people to, to figure things out and make progress without having to wait until they could talk to another person. And, uh, and so that, that, that's, that's, that's really supported us as well. That's interesting because I did ask a few people, you know, on our social media and our website, you know, what questions or concerns they had about remote work or going back to the office. One thing I noticed was young people who are still in college or, you know, trying to find a job, they're, they were wondering, you know, how will remote work work for me if I, if I want to make an impression, if I, you know, I want to get mentors. Uh, is there was a concern like remote work wouldn't work for them because there's that that less face-to-face -face collaboration. And same with people who just feel like, you know, will it be a detriment in climbing the career ladder because face-to-face -face you have more opportunities to impress. So what are, what are your responses to that, to young people who want to get in and people who want to climb up the career ladder? Yeah, I mean, so th this is one of the reasons why I myself am not going to be working out of the office and why we've uh, we, we've made it so that our, our leadership teams are not going to be in the office because th there is a reality where employees at a company are to some extent in competition with each other for openings for you know management roles or leadership opportunities or, or advancement within the company. And there is a tendency for managers and leaders who are giving out these opportunities to just uh, I don't think it's intentional, but I, I think they end up biasing toward whoever they are, whoever they see, you know, whoever they're familiar with, whoever whoever's around. Um, you hear stories about someone who just they they happen to they have, end up with their desk sitting next to the CEO at a company, and that was really important for their career, and and so we want to make sure that kind of thing, and, and so that that can end up as uh, especially disadvantageous for remote workers. And, and so we wanted to make sure that we have basically a level playing field where people are being judged on you know, the, the results of their work and the, the actual impact that they're making. And, and we don't want to have a culture where we just kind of like, it becomes like, oh, you have to actually, we, you know, we say we're remote first, we have to actually be in the office if you really want to, you really want to like do well at the company. Uh, so, so that's, I, I think that is a real factor. And, and I, I think there's, there's actually a lot of other companies that are trying to go with this kind of hybrid approach where they're going to have a, a centralized headquarters but also have remote work. And I think they're going to have a lot of challenges around that. We, we've actually had a few employees who have uh, joined us from other companies that, that allow remote work, but it's kind of second class. And they want to be at a company where remote work will be first class. I also wanted to ask about maybe a geography-based pay. I, I read a few news stories about companies, I think Twitter is one of them, where they've stated or they've alluded to the fact that they may look at where workers work and base their pay. And if they're, say, moving from San Francisco out of the Bay Area to someplace 
you know, Idaho or uh, Austin or some other place, they may have pay cuts like 10% or 20%. What are your thoughts on geography-based pay? And what is Cora? I'm sorry, because I was saying Cora, but it's Cora. What is Cora doing about that, if anything? Yeah, so th- this is this is um, pretty, you know, just normal. If you look across the, the industry and across the, the U.S. or across the world, the, um, there will be differences in in local pay for for us personally, you know, it's very important for us to to get the best people uh, working at, at Core, and so we pay competitively, uh, you know, across around the world and across the country and and uh, wherever we hire people. So it should really, in your in your thoughts, it should be talent. Talent comes first. It's not geography. Is not even or should be. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of factors in in pay, um, and you know, we, it, it'll always depend on the the situation. Um, but I, I actually think that this, what's going to happen over time is there will be um, a lot of these Silicon Valley companies that are that are able to pay a lot more than than local companies in these other markets, and so. Regardless of whether they're paying, you know, a little bit less or more than they're paying in other locations, it's going to create this upward wage pressure in all these other markets. And so, I, I think it's just a matter of time before things just really just equalize. Um, and, I, and I think this is great opportunities for for people in in these other markets. You know, it's kind of been like historically, you've had to be in the Bay Area to get access to the best jobs, um, and then you know, and, and all the a lot, not everyone can can do that. Um, and so I think this is this is really a great thing for people in you know just anywhere in California outside the Bay Area or or anywhere else in the country. So that ties into my next question here about about places like Silicon Valley, San Francisco, the Bay Area, uh, and how remote work is changing, say the downtowns where these companies are based or used to be based. You know, I, I've been reading stories about San Francisco, the financial district just, you know, has been deserted and a lot of businesses that rely on, you know, companies like Salesforce and Twitter, uh, they're, they're shutting down. Um, Silicon Valley, are, are people are asking, will it lose its edge now that engineers can work from anywhere and VC venture capitalists will follow them. So, you know, what happens to the physical um, Sil- Silicon Valley? So, as a CEO that still has an official headquarters in Mountain View, you know, what's your take on how moves like yours will affect Bay Area cities? You know, the, the small businesses that rely on on bigger businesses, residents, and tax bases. Yes. Yeah, so, so I guess just first thing I just clarify is we our Mountain View is not our headquarters anymore, right? So it's just going to be a, a co working space, and we're probably going to have spaces in, just a in other place, in other locations as well. So we're really we, part of being remote first is that. The, the headquarters is you know is on the internet it's not it's not in any particular location um, but but and I, I think this is a, a good question you know I, I think that so all of these office spaces that have been built out in these cities they still exist and there's going to be someone who will you know be interested in in using them and you know we're still going to be using our space in in mountain view so I think this may slow the rate of development of new office space, but all the existing offices will be occupied by someone or other. You know, there, there were a lot of companies that were kind of driven out of San Francisco through the tech boom, and maybe some of them will move back if the tech companies don't want the offices. I actually expect a lot of tech companies are still going to be using the space. Um, just in, you know, maybe they'll have uh, offices for employees instead of open office plans, which you know that that they could you could use three times as much space per per employee if if you do that. So there there will be one one way or another that that space will will get used. And I, I think this is more of something that's going to lift up all the other areas of the country than something that's going to particularly like pull down San Francisco and Silicon Valley. There, there's a lot of companies are not. Going remote first, and a lot of um, you know, I, I think a lot of venture funding is still going to be centered in in the Bay Area. So I, I, I think I think these cities will still do very well. What do you miss most? If you miss anything about face to face work with your uh, workers, um, let's see. You know, I I, I think the uh, over video conference there's just a little bit of a lag, you know, just like a few hundred milliseconds. And so if you want to interrupt someone or you want to like, you know, just have like a facial expression communicating something that there's just a little bit of friction on that, which is, it's not always very obvious, but 
it does make communication a little bit less efficient. And, and I, I think just like the the like kind of like high bandwidth communication you can have by by sitting down directly in person with someone that that is um, you know that that that's it's a little bit worse remotely. You know, I, I think all the other benefits outweigh that. And you know, we can I'm having conversations now with a lot of people who I just never would have been able to have in person because we've been able to hire people from all over the world. But uh, but that is that is a downside. And my last question for you is is I guess one uh, that probably people now is. You know, a lot of companies are announcing their plans to go back uh, to work and how that's going to be done. Still have some concerns, some fears, especially with, you know, remote work and going back. What going for, you know, as we look at the future of work, what would you say to people uh, going back to work, whether it's remote or, you know, hybrid or whatever? You know, um, any any advice or uplifting, you know, things to say to them? Uh, you know, I, I think the one thing I, I think people are not always remembering is that remote work through the pandemic has been especially hard on, on people. And, you know, I think it's important to just remember that through the pandemic, a lot of people, you know, they couldn't go hang out with their friends. They couldn't, you know, they maybe didn't have childcare for their children. Children weren't in school. Um, There's just a lot of stress on everyone. And, and so I, th I think some people have maybe associated that with remote work, but actually, if you talk to people at companies from that were remote before the pandemic, they actually have consistently say that the experience of remote work during the pandemic has been way, way worse than people than than it was before the pandemic. Uh, and so, I, I think remote work is actually something that's going to get way, way better after the the pandemic is over. And so, I, I think people should be looking forward to that. Well, Adam D'Angelo, thank you so much for joining us. We are recording this on a Friday, so I hope that you can uh, kick off work early and enjoy the nice sunny weekend in California. Great. Thank you. You've been listening to California Groundbreakers. This Changes Everything, Episode 2, which was recorded on March 30th and April 2nd, 2021. Thanks to Christopher Good, Melissa Pacey, and Adam D'Angelo for taking the time to talk with us. Also, thanks to Nate Graham and Caleb Clark for recording and producing this podcast. And of course, thanks to you for listening. If you find our podcasts worth listening to in these difficult times, consider making a donation and supporting our efforts to produce more informative, inspiring conversations about what Californians should expect in the post-pandemic future. You can do that, as well as keep tabs on upcoming podcast episodes, our live events, whenever it's safe to do them again, and other information about us by going to our website, californiagroundbreakers.org.